She didn't want to be seen by people, and she had no desire at all whatsoever to have any type of conversation with the man who was sitting there. The story goes on to this really cool conversation where Jesus begins to, he asks her for water. She doesn't want to give him water. He offers her living water. She wants to know where she can get that so she doesn't have to come back to the well anymore and be embarrassed. And Jesus um, changes the topic. He says, go get your husband. And she goes, I don't have one. And he said, I know, you've, got five, you've had five husbands and you're shocking up with a guy now who isn't your husband. And then she said, let's change the topic because I don't want to talk about me anymore. <laughs> Um, and uh, again, you should go back and listen to last week's sermon because we've all been there, right? We've all been in the presence of Jesus where he wants to talk about something that we don't. But that's not this week's sermon. And so she changes the topic and she wants to start discussing with Jesus something that will be controversial between them because of their nationality. Because she is a Samaritan and he is a Jew. They want to, she, she, she wants to pick a little bit of a fight. Like she's feeling defensive. Do you ever get defensive and you want to fight somebody? Yeah, most people are like, no, we don't ever want to do that. I like a good fight. I like a good fight. I don't, you know, for all of my peacemaker friends out there who go, man, I just, I just want everybody to be happy. I'm like, no, come on, we grow from, like, getting into it. Let's get into it a little bit. And, um, and so the woman at the well, I like her, and I relate to her, because she's like, come on, let's get into it a little bit. You want to fight? These are fighting words. Will you stand with me for the fighting words from the Word of God today? Starting in the book of John, chapter 4, verse 19. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. Yeah, because you just told me that I'm shacking up with a dude. You don't know me. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming indeed. It is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah, the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. It took a while for Chad and I get to get to know each other. Um, we met at a Summersville campground, not necessarily on purpose. Um, we had friends that introduced us to one another because they knew that we were both headed to Mount Vernon Nazarene University to go to school. And I remember the very first weekend that we were on campus when it was just freshmen. At that time, there was a barn, and that's where all the cool things happened, um, obviously in the middle of a cornfield in north central Ohio. And so we're in this big barn. It has a, some food, and there is a band playing, and I'm sitting up in the balcony, and I see Chad walking with a group of friends, and I don't know very many people on campus because it's my first weekend, and I see him, and I wave, and I say, hey, Chad, and he comes up and sits with me. He leaves his friends, um, which they totally expected because they were going out to 
to find some ladies. So Chad was lucky. It happened really early on in his adventure, and he makes his way up to the balcony, and we sit and we talk for hours and hours and hours. We went outside and sat at a picnic table and talked for a really, really long time. But now we've been married for almost 21 years. I know I don't look that old. Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, and we've been married for almost 21 years, and there are still times where we look at each other and we think, man, there are things that I still don't know about you. Hey, there, there are still things that we are learning about one another, even after having been married for 21 years, after having four children together, after going through all the adventures that we have been through, there are still things that we are learning about one another. And when you begin to learn about someone, you learn the good and the bad, right? Because at first, when you're first dating, it's all about the good stuff, right? You hide all that junk way down in there. You don't want anybody seeing that. But then as you grow to know each other more and more, the ugly comes out, the broken comes out, the hurt comes out. And some of those things we don't necessarily feel like are good things. We talked last week about what worship was not. This week, we're going to dig into what worship actually is. We find it in the beauty of this story. You see, the woman at the well has this conversation with Jesus. The time is coming when we will all worship in one place, in spirit and in truth, and she listens intently as Jesus is sharing. They never get back to the water conversation. That's what I want to know. Like, where does the water, why is that, that's left unfinished. I'm very confused. There's no more talk about living water because Jesus has just expressed to her the most important words in all of scripture, in the entire Bible. I am the Messiah. He is the Messiah. And he says that, and immediately the whole scenery changes in this passage. She is gone. Poof. She's gone. Where did she go? I don't know, but she's gone. Actually, I do know, because I read the rest of the passage. And she's just gone all of a sudden. And where does she go? She goes back to the village where the people are. She heads straight back, and she tells them this. This is her testimony to them. I met a man who knows everything that I did. You see, worship is a celebration that Jesus knows everything about you. Worship is a celebration that Jesus knows everything about you. I met a man, and he told me everything I ever did. Most of us wouldn't be celebrating that. The woman at the well really shouldn't have been celebrating that, right? She's been through the junk of life. She is at the well all by herself in the middle of the day because she does not want to be around any of the other people because they think she is uh, sleazy. She's loose, more old woman. You don't smoke or chew or go with girls who do. Those things are just important things that they need to know. You guys are awake today. Amen. Thanks be to God. But see, Jesus doesn't just know you. He knows you so that you might be transformed. That sentence that I say over and over and over again, someday whenever I am no longer your pastor, you are going to be like, all she ever said was, we're so thankful God didn't leave us the way he found us. 
But isn't it the truth? Isn't that our celebration? Isn't that our excitement that Jesus, that worship is all about how Jesus knows us, but he knows you intimately because he wants you to be transformed by the power of his Holy Spirit. He knows you, your heart and your mind and your life. He sees you. I got excited and I moved my bookmark and now I got to find my passage again. I get fidgety. Psalm 139, King David begins, um, begins sharing this psalm. We don't know exactly when it happened in scripture, but it's a very authentic expression of how praiseworthy it is to have a God who knows us intimately. It begins in verse 1, Lord, you've examined my heart. You know everything about me. Stopping our tracks right there, that's a little bit scary. That means that he knows what you're doing in the middle of the night. It means he knows what you're doing in secret. It means he knows the thoughts that you're having about people. He knows the anger that you hold and the bitterness that you hide. The Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know, when I sit down and when I stand up, you know my thoughts, even when I'm far away from you. See, but it, it isn't like you've been caught. I, I, was a, my, my, I had a friend when I was in junior high that my mom called the little liar. Because every time I was with her, we did something we weren't supposed to do, and then we'd lie about it. I know that probably wasn't me. It was another child that misbehaved and was a terrible teenager. Um, <laughs> and, and so sometimes we think that all about God knowing us is about being caught. That's not what it's about. See, God's got to know the junk to be able to transform you into his likeness. But it also means that he knows the good. He knows the giftedness that he has planted within you. He knows the passions that you have that are just that are just like oozing out of you. He knows that. He sees the beauty of you when the rest of the world cannot. When you have been abused and hurting, God, hurt, God sees your wholeness. He sees his glory in you despite all of the other stuff. At the end of Psalm 139, and you're going to dig a little more into that in your life groups this week, but Psalm 139, verse 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Part of being in worship is a celebration of God knowing us, and if that is the case, then we invite the Lord in. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And then what do we ask for? We ask for transformation. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. God's desire is to search us, to know us, to transform us. And worship is a celebration of all of that coming together. The story continues with the woman at the well. And, and she has disappeared, but um, Jesus' disciples have showed back up. <laughs> it's so funny, the, the drastic contrast we find. 
We, we see this woman who is broken and who is a mess, and she's a woman, and she's a woman, and she's a woman. And he's alone with her at a well, and he's not supposed to be alone with her. All of the cultural stipulations, they've just been broken. They've been thrown out the window. And then we switch. She disappears. Poof, we know where she goes. But then Jesus starts a new conversation with a new group of people. They happen to be his disciples. They'd gone to get food. Do you remember that? They were hungry. They thought Jesus was hungry, and so they left him to go find something to eat. They came back, and they were shocked. Because what was Jesus doing? He was fraternizing with a loose lady. And, and he said, oh, my goodness, what are you doing? What do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? You know all the questions. Have any of you ever had three-year-olds? And you go, oh, honey, you don't need to know all the things. You're only three. But they ask over and over and over again all of the questions. And here are the disciples. What are you doing? What do you, what do you, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? Why is she dipping up water? Why is she even here? She shouldn't even be here. What's going on? She's a Samaritan. Don't you know we don't talk to them? Didn't anybody fill you in, Jesus? Where'd you come from? Don't you know this stuff? And she runs back to the village. And and is wondering, could Jesus be the Messiah? While the disciples are wondering, how can the Messiah be talking to this lady? And so the disciples, they're like, well, I, Jesus, we think you must be lightheaded and possibly have lost your mind because you are behaving inappropriately. You probably need something to eat. It's like the Snickers bar commercials. You're going to turn into Aretha Franklin. Jesus, we need you to eat something. And Jesus responds to them, I have food that you don't know anything about. First of all, he's got water that she doesn't know anything about, and now he has food that the disciples don't know anything about. And, and he begins to tell them about harvesting, all of these things that they already know. He said, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvesting? But I say, wake up and look around you. And if Jesus was preaching on this very pulpit today, he would say, wake up, church. Look around you. Just like that. The fields are ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest are people that are brought into eternal life. Oh, what joy awaits! <laughs> what joy awaits! What joy awaits! And this woman at the well has witnessed what Jesus has done, and then she all of a sudden becomes a witness because worship and witness go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. You see, this private woman's first inclination was to run off and tell the others about the Messiah. When we see the woman at the well, we go, oh, you know, she just she wouldn't call everybody about Jesus because she's excited to go meet people. Witnessing is her spiritual gift. I mean, that's the reason that she's telling other people about Jesus. She showed up at a well in the middle of the day so that she didn't have to talk to anybody. She was extremely private. She didn't want anybody knowing her business. She didn't want to be looked down upon anybody. She didn't. But her encounter with the Messiah was so extremely powerful that she had to tell them. She had to be a witness. And worship and witness have to go hand in hand. Because when we have been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and have encountered a holy God, 
when we give him everything that we are, the only thing we can do in response is tell other people about it. We get so excited, we can't wait. If we had a birthday and we got a robot, we need people to know. It's exciting things that are happening in our lives. And yet oftentimes we don't do that at all. You see, while Jesus' disciples, and we fall in this category a lot, we fall in the category of the disciples of Jesus where everything should be li- very linear and very clean and very plain. We hang out with certain people at certain times. We don't talk to certain people. We don't go certain places because heaven forbid we ruin our witness. And <laughs> the disciples, are while they're trying to rationalize the words that Jesus says, Jesus tells them all of this and they're going, what are you talking about harvesters and food and we just want you to eat something and quit talking to the loose lady all right that's all we want from you Jesus they're trying to rationalize this encounter rationalize Jesus's words while the woman from the well was actually living them out and what is the response what happens many Samaritans believe who is going to believe her words nobody nobody should have believed anything that she said She had no credibility. She had no great relationships with people. She didn't have a good gal pal going to the well with her in the middle of the day. All she had was words of transformation that God had done in her life. I have met the Messiah. I have met a man who told me everything about me. And the result is many Samaritans believed When was the last time that you shared your story? When was the last time you felt any passion about your transformation at all? We make excuses. I'm so tired of hearing the excuse. Well, if it weren't for COVID. I know. It's awful. It's terrible. Suck it up, buttercup. It's time for us to share what God has done in our lives. And if God's not doing anything in your life, then you need to ask yourself, am I encountering Jesus? Because worship results from encountering Christ. That's when it happens. Until you encounter Jesus, worship don't mean a hill of beans. The people believed because they too encountered Jesus. At the very end, starting at at chapter 4 in verse 39. This is all in chapter 4, people. John chapter 4. Go home and read it. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because of what the woman had said. He told me everything that I did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear the message and to believe. And then they said to the woman, the woman who no one would talk to, nobody wanted to be around. I just, I I don't know, are you getting this? Are you really getting this? She was worthless. She was nothing, nothing on human standards. And Jesus made her the most powerful witness to the Samaritans that we see in the New Testament, period. You don't think God can transform your life? You don't think he can use you to transform the lives of others? Read the scripture, honey. It's here. It's here. It's what God has done. So he stayed long enough for many other to hear the message and to believe. And then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you've told us, 
but because we have heard him for ourselves. And we indeed know that he is the Savior of the world. The disciples even questioned that. The Messiah shouldn't behave in such a way. The Messiah can't die on a cross. The Messiah can't give up. The Messiah has to be a revolutionary. All of the things that the Jews thought the Messiah had to be, the Samaritans got. Isn't it interesting that Jesus says, you know nothing about the one that you worship to the Samaritans, but the Jews know? And then we turn around, and by the end of this passage, it is the Samaritans that are worshiping in spirit and truth, and the Jews who still don't get it. The church people who are still lost at the idea See, until you encounter Jesus, worship doesn't mean anything. And then we encounter Jesus and we realize that worship isn't just for us, the people who show up on Sundays or sit on our couch and turn on Facebook Live. It's not just for us. It is for everyone. Worship is for everyone. See, the Jews followed Jesus around because of what he could do for them. The Samaritans chased after Jesus because of who he was. What are you doing? Do you go to Bible studies? Do you read your Bible? Do you start praying because you think, oh, I've seen what Jesus can do for other people. I wonder what Jesus can do for me. If you're all about what you can get out of Jesus, then you're never going to be a true worshiper. You're never going to get it. It's always going to be boxes to check off. But when you encounter Christ, when you see the beauty of what he has done, all of a sudden you become a chaser of Jesus, not because of what he can do for you, but simply because of who he is. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. I've heard a lot lately, actually even yesterday, We've started interviewing for a new pastoral staff position here, and um, and uh, it's been it's been really good. But we sat and we've sat in interviews, and in one of those interviews, the word revival happened to come up. And the person that brought it up to them, it wasn't just a word. To them, it was a real life, been in the mud, Jesus transformed me, revival of the soul experience, and I get so tired. I get so tired of church people who barely show up on Sunday mornings to worship Jesus, who sit in their seats looking like somebody peed in their breakfast cornflakes, telling me they want revival. Revival happens out of a transformation of lives that are actively worshiping in every avenue of their life. You want revival? Guess what? It starts with you. It starts with you. Am I giving every avenue of my life to Jesus? Am I worshiping him when I'm with my family? Am I worshiping him at my job? Am I worshiping him whenever I come to church? Am I worshiping him when I'm in conversation with my neighbor? Am I worshiping him with my time and my tithe and my life? Is everything in my life as I look at it, does it all point back to Jesus? That's what worship is. That's what it is. So you want revival, T.C. Naz? Is that what you want? You want a revival of the Holy Spirit to come and work and move and do in your heart and life? Then you have to give everything to Christ and quit keeping it for yourself. You have to let him transform you by the power of the Holy Spirit. You have to be willing to worship him with everything that you are. Quit holding back. And it means the junk too. 
It means the junk and the hurt in your life, you have to give it to Jesus and you have to quit caring what other people think. If you're struggling with addiction to alcohol or to pornography, if you're struggling because you can't seem to pay your bills because you're swindling it all on gambling, if you are struggling in life because of the sin in your life and you are hiding it, Satan wants nothing more than that secret sin to eat you alive. He wants it to destroy you and destroy everyone around you. Revival happens when we let that out. Why do we keep talking about life groups? It's not because we have a desire to be the dead horse. It's because we believe that there's power in community that comes whenever you sit around a table with someone and you share with them what's really going on in your life, not the candy-coated version. It happens when you live and you work and you worship. I'm supposed to be done preaching now. I'm sorry. That's when revival happens. Our worship team's going to come up. And we're going to sing, and I'm going to dance, and I don't care what you do. (laughs) But as we continue in this time of worship, I want you to know, first of all, we've had some conversations about this, and we've been really COVID safe. We've done a really good job. You guys are doing great. Good job. Way to go. Um, We haven't had an outbreak of COVID in our church. You guys are doing a good job. Great. Way to go. But (laughs) these altars and this, this is open all the stinking time, all the time. You don't have to act like this is some kind of sacred place that you can only show up if you're holy or if you're good or if you're better or whatever. This is a place for brokenness and hurt. It's a place for sharing. It's a place for community. It's a place for life and for love. And so today, as we're singing Graves in the Gardens, again, I know, it's okay. We're going to do it again. Um, (laughs) They said it's because you like it, Pastor. Mm, I do like it because it's the testimony of every single one of us, or at least it should be. Has your grave been turned into gardens? Has God lifted you out of valleys and put you on mountaintops as he turned your dead ashes into the beauty of the cross? Then you should be dancing with me. You should be. We're going to sing this today, and I want you to know if any of those things in your life, if you go, man, Jesus, I need you to do that in me today, I just want you to come and pray. Because this is a place where we live life together and we love one another and we seek God on behalf of one another. And if you're home today and you're kneeling at your couch asking God to turn your graves into gardens, we want to know about it. So I just want you to testify to that today. You can do that online. You can do that here. But let us continue to praise God for all that he's worth. Will you stand with me today and let us worship him? Lord, we thank you for being a God who shows up in unexpected places at just the right time. Lord, I pray today that we truly have honored you by worshiping you in spirit and in truth. Lord, as we go from this place today, I pray that you will empower us to be the worshipers that you have called us to be. We will worship you because we have encountered you, that we will worship you and be witnesses to your glory that we will worship you and be transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit and that revival will continue to pour out among our people because we are true worshipers in all ways. Lord, we love you and, and we pray all of these things in your name today. People of God, as you go from this place today, may God bless you richly. May his face shine upon you in such a way that causes you to worship in every avenue of your being and may you be blessed by the continued outpouring of God's Holy Spirit upon you.